Well, I hope you all heard what I heard. I was sitting there. It was beautiful. We could just do that for another hour. That was gorgeous music. I want to pick up this week kind of as a part two to where Miguel started last week on Pentecost. And this is a time that we're celebrating Pentecost. And I want to go a little bit more into what was the importance that the Holy Spirit come. And Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit came to the disciples. And when we talk about God, we have sometimes a difficult time saying, well, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. It's okay we have a difficult time grabbing it all together, but it's very helpful for us to get a hold of the fact that it was important that the Holy Spirit come and dwell within us. Now, I would have liked to have been there before time when the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were looking at what they were about to create. Now, before time, the Bible says in Genesis, let us create man in our image. There was the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, it would not have been very good if I was Jesus, because if I looked down time and saw that these people were going to reject the word of the Lord and that it was going to be necessary for me to come as a man to suffer and die and provide the redemption for this world, I think I wouldn't have made the world. That would be me. I would say, well, that's not going to work out. Let's not go that way. But Jesus, looking ahead and knowing what was going to happen, still loved us so much that he made us. And when God first chose to deal with people, he was talking with Adam and Eve, and he gave them tremendous latitude in the garden. There was just really one tree they couldn't eat of. But when the enemy came in, he said to them, if you eat of that tree, you will become as God. You will become as God. And that's why God doesn't want you to do that. Now, the Lord knew that Satan was going to come into the garden. The Lord permitted Satan to come into the garden to offer to Adam and Eve what was probably the toughest temptation. You could be as God. He knew that Adam and Eve would not be able to hold against that temptation. He knew there would be a fall. But he allowed all this in his redemptive plan. God is never mocked. He's never confused. He knows what he's doing. Now, when he chose a people on the face of the earth, it says in the scripture that he went to the nation that had the fewest people. And they weren't the Jews because there wasn't a name Jews then. But they were the smallest population on earth. They were the smallest group of people, and that's who he chose. And when he revealed himself to them, he gave them laws, but he also gave them his presence. But his presence in the Old Testament was restricted to the tent of meeting. Now, the tent of meeting was a special place. Not is a big tent. It had three big areas to it. On the outside was what was called the outer court. Stepping in was the holy area, and then stepping in further was the holy of holies. Separating the holy area from the holy of holies was a large veil, about 40 feet high, made with no seams, very thick. It separated the holy from the holy of holies. Inside the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant was gold overlaid. It looked like a big casket kind of thing with two angels on top of it looking at each other. And the angels' wings were spread together. Look forward in the middle of the, between the two angels was the mercy seat. 
And when the high priest would go in once a year for the sins to atone for the sins of the people, he would sprinkle blood everywhere, but he would certainly sprinkle blood on that mercy seat. But the presence of God dwelt above the mercy seat. And inside the Holy of Holies, the presence of God was there. It was very important for the mercy seat to be sprinkled with blood so that when God the Father looked through the mercy seat at us, instead of seeing sin, he saw forgiven sin, and he saw righteousness that was given to us because of the sacrifice. And so the mercy seat was extremely important. Now, in the Old Testament then, the presence of God was in a place. It was restricted dimensionally. It was, you could walk around the tent of meeting, and the presence of God was in that one place. And later when the temple was built, it was the same design. And the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. And you could walk around the temple and say, well, that's where the presence of God is. But that was not God's ultimate plan. Now, he did neat things with that. And when that temple was dedicated, there were 120 priests blowing trumpets and a big fanfare of stuff. And they went in there and the Spirit of God filled the whole temple, not just the Holy of Holies. And the Spirit of God was so thick, it says in Chronicles, that the priests could not minister because of the presence of God in the place. They couldn't stand. Now, if you were thinking of something really cool, you might stop and say, boy, that really tops the mark. What if God came into this sanctuary and was so thick you couldn't move, you couldn't stand? Well, that would be an incredible experience. But that was not nearly as good as the experience that God had planned. Because in that whole story, the presence of God is outside of man, and man is not able to move because of the thickness of God's presence. But God's plan was not that he dwell outside of people. But God's plan was that he would dwell within us. And this is the mystery of the fellowship of Christ. This is what it means in Colossians 1.27 when he says, I tell you, I want you to know the riches of the glory of this mystery. I'm going to tell you a mystery. I want you to know the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ over here, the hope of glory, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. That was God's plan that the temple would no longer be made with hands. But as he says in the New Testament, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So God planned that his presence would not dwell outside, but his presence would dwell within us. Now, when we get to Pentecost, he does that in an amazing way. He opens up and delivers the Holy Spirit in a way that nobody else was asking. Nobody thought, well, there will be a, a Spirit of God that will come through and do things that are totally different than any agenda that we said. And we read the verses last week that when um, the, the disciples were gathered together, very interestingly, there were 120 priests in the Old Testament for the dedication of that temple. 
there were 120 believers whom the Scripture calls priests in the New Testament in the upper room to receive the Holy Spirit. So God took the 120 from the Old Testament and matched it with 120 in the New Testament. And when they received the Spirit of God, people were not restricted so they couldn't minister, but exactly the opposite happened. And the Spirit of God filled them, and being filled with the Spirit of God, people ministered. And they ministered to everybody that was there. They ministered to everyone who was there. So God changed and wanted to work through people. Now, I sometimes have kind of questioned God. Eleanor, I, I really like the uh, 12-foot angel with a 10-foot flaming sword approach. You know, if I was to stand up here and there was a 12-foot angel with a 10-foot flaming sword, I dare say that we would pay particular attention to every single thing he had to say. And I might even say, Lord, if you'd just do that a few times, well, then the world would believe. But do you know something? The Lord has already done that a few times. He has sent angelic hosts. He has even descended on the mountain and spoken himself to his people. And it doesn't last. For a while, they're awed, and then it fades away. God had something more marvelous in mind. He had in mind that he would come and dwell within us. Now, this was a big deal because when Jesus was trying to explain this to the disciples, they weren't buying this. And I have to say, if I was a disciple, I would have had difficulty buying it because what Jesus said in John 16, in verse 7, he says, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, if I had Jesus right there, Barbara, where I could hold his hand and I could give him a hug and I could be with him and he was to tell me it's a good thing, it's a better thing, that I leave, that would have been a hard sell. I'd say, you're right here with me. I can't conceive of anything better than you being right here with me. That tops it. But Jesus knew there was something better. He knew it was important for him to leave so the Holy Spirit could come. And then he listed all the things the Holy Spirit would do. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit would do would remind the disciples of everything Jesus had taught. And that's one of the reasons the disciples could write the scriptures, was because the Holy Spirit came and Jesus said it specifically. He will bring to your remembrance every single thing I've said to you. So they could put those things down. He said he will convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin which includes us, and the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin in our life. It's the Holy Spirit that's putting the pointer there saying, you know that's wrong, you need to get that right with God. That's the Holy Spirit. If you say, well, I don't think I've ever heard the Holy Spirit. Oh, I bet you have. I bet you've heard that voice, that voice that says, that's not right with God, you need to fix that. That's the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, it's better that the Holy Spirit come. And boy, did the Holy Spirit come. You could not be in that room and go, well, I think everybody kind of was having a kumbaya experience, got caught up in the emotion, and that was it. No, we're talking about flames of fire on your head. Now, that's a bit of a stir. Let's just think about Philip for a second, and he's just walking along, and all of a sudden there's a 12-inch flame of fire on his head. You can't just go. That's Philip's new haircut. 
You know, you can't think like that. God did something to show it was God. He also came as a mighty rushing wind. I like that part. Um, I have a friend that uh, uh, helped me a lot in the Lord. And a long time ago, probably in the 1930s or something, he received the Holy Spirit and people were praying for him that he be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he said he had one woman in his right ear and she was blowing in his right ear saying, this is the mighty rushing wind, lay hold. And then he had another woman in his left ear saying, just release and let go. So he had lay hold and release and let go and he was having a hard time praying because people were coming at him in different ways. But the Holy Spirit came in a way that was undeniable and filled them. And each person got up and started speaking in languages they didn't know. And the scripture says they spoke in those languages and ministered to populations of people who said, how in the world can you be speaking to us in your language? But you could not doubt that the Holy Spirit had come. And Jesus said the hallmark will be after the Holy Spirit comes, you will have power. After the Holy Spirit comes, you'll have power. Because power is in the Holy Spirit. If you look at 2 Timothy 1.7, it says that power is in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says power is in Jesus. Power is not something separated from God, but it's in Jesus. So the coming of the Holy Spirit was well demarcated. And Jesus had said, this is something that's so important. And that when he comes, he said he's really going to do nine things for you. We mentioned that he'll convict the world of sin. Jesus said he will guide you into all truth, that he would glorify Jesus, he would testify about Jesus, he would take from Jesus and disclose it to us, he would teach us all things, he would bring to remembrance what Jesus has said, he will abide in you, and he will give you power. There will be power when he's there. Now that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of tremendous stuff to happen. Well, you know, Jesus was also very clear that it was the Father's will that everyone receive the Holy Spirit. In Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus said, he's always calling us evil. I always get caught on that. But he said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask. That God is absolutely willing. It's not complicated. It's a gift of the Father. And so when he said this, he was talking and speaking of really all those people that would come later, including us, because he was talking about how important it was that the Holy Spirit come. Now, when they spoke of Jesus, we know that Jesus himself was filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, 8, Peter says, Then Peter, excuse me, we know that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. It speaks of the disciples after Pentecost, saying in Acts 4, 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, and he went on. But it demarcates that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then this pattern was borne out more in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, it talks about people coming to know the Lord, and it describes really three different things. 
that there was always a phase of repentance from sin and turning to God, and then being water baptized, and then being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now remember, this: Jesus came both as the Son of Man and the Son of God. He came as the Son of Man, so he experienced everything, like we were talking about in the children's moments, just like we experienced. He knew what it was to be constipated. He knew what it was to smash your thumb. He knew what it was to trip and skin your knee. He lived as the Son of Man, and he mentioned that many, many times describing himself. And he also lived as the Son of God. Now, we can't do that, but he can do that. He lived as the Son of Man and as the Son of God. Now, the mystery of the fellowship that we have with God, that great mystery, Christ within you, the hope of glory, is not something that's easy to dissect. It's not something that we can easily pull apart and say, well, I completely understand every step of that. God has made a new creation when he comes to indwell us. And how we work together is something that is special. And it's something driven by the power of God, but we're involved in it. So in one sense, it's like a person driving a car. So if Eleanor was at home and she was coming to church and she jumped into her, what kind of car do you have? A Yukon. She jumped into her Yukon, turned the key, headed on to church. Would you say that Eleanor took herself to church, or would you say the car took her to church? Well, you can't really separate that out. You see, there was some Eleanor, and then the power came from the car. But if you left the car in the driveway, it's not going to go to church. Eleanor had to get in. She had to do some driving. She had to push a pedal. But you say, yeah, but she pushed a pedal, but a whole lot happened when she pushed the pedal. Well, that's the power of the car. That's how we are with the Lord. We're together with the Lord, and we can't be separated. And there's a part that we play that God calls us to play, but the power comes from God. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And that's why it says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not Christ can do all things through my body. It's I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's a coming together. I think a good example of it, it's not totally, none of these examples are perfect. It's like when you mix egg, an egg and flour. So let's just say that Katie took a bowl of, of flour, and she cracked an egg into it and then mixed it together. Well, that makes a new creation. It's not a flour. It's not an egg. But then let's just say that Sarah came along and said, I want my egg back. Well, you can't do that. The egg and the flour have made a new creation. You can say, Sarah, your egg is in there, but it's a new creation. It doesn't look like the old egg, and the flour doesn't look like the old flour. It's made a new creation. So it's in there, but you can't pull the flower back out. So it's somewhat of an example. That's how it is in the Lord. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's what's really happened. 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, If any person be in Christ, he is one spirit with him. But we don't understand spiritual things, so to say we're one spirit with Christ is hard for us to grab. But nonetheless, it's true. And then Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, he said, 
he said, it's no longer, I, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. And then in the next section, he just says, in the next five phrases, he says, but the life I now live. Well, I would say to Paul, if you're saying, I, I no longer live, that's okay. But you can't say, I no longer live, and then say, the life I now live in the next little phrase. But it is that way. We are living with Jesus, where we're a vine and graft a branch into the vine, and we are together. And Jesus spent long periods of time talking about how he meant for us to abide in him and for him to abide in us. Now, the Holy Spirit is absolutely key in this because the Holy Spirit is referred to in the New Testament as the Spirit of Jesus, and it's the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that comes in and merges with our spirit and changes us from the inside. So there was a repenting and recognizing that Jesus is the Savior, and we can't be redeemed without him. There's water baptism. There's spiritual baptism. And Jesus went through this. Jesus went through water baptism, and when he was being baptized in water, the Spirit descended like a dove. And the next verse says, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, went into the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, as the Son of Man, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit guided him into the wilderness, just like in our lives. So when we have new believers in Acts, we can see this happen. So in Acts, for instance, chapter 8, verse 14 through 17, it says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So we had believers in Samaria who had believed in Jesus, who had been water baptized. And when Peter and John, and when the, and when the apostles in Jerusalem heard they had become believers, they said, we need to send down Peter and John to pray for them, so that in addition to believing in Jesus, in addition to being baptized in water, they might be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. And this was very important. And they sent Peter and John to make that happen. And then it says of Paul, when he met the Lord, it says Ananias came into the house in Acts 9, 17. Ananias entered the house and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul wasn't to take one step until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Ananias prayed for him, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in the house of Cornelius in Acts 10, it says that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for these people to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did and he ordered them to be baptized in Jesus' name. 
Now, this is actually really important because once you get God in a box, God will do things all sorts of ways. And in the house of Cornelius, he baptized them in the Holy Spirit immediately, and then they got baptized in water. So you can't make a rule, well, I can't get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I haven't been water baptized because in Cornelius' house, he just baptized them with the Holy Spirit first. And then they were baptized in water. And the final example in Acts 19 was what happened in Corinth. And it happened while Apollos was in Corinth. Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. And he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul came across these people and they were believers, and they were practicing the faith. And he said, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? They said, no. And he said, you haven't received the Holy Spirit? They said, no. And he said, and then to what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon him, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with other tongues and prophesying, and they were in all about 12 men. So God started with his disciples, and at Pentecost, he had those people baptized in the Holy Spirit, and all through Acts where we find new believers, every single time it was important for those new believers to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the disciples and the apostles went down to make sure this happened wherever they went. So this was a big thing of God. It was important that people be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit into their life. Now, this is one of the things that God does, which are many things like God does, that puts people out into an unusual situation. I, I, I like the Azusa Street Revival. It was about 1903. There was a big revival in Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California. One of the great things about that revival that I enjoy about the most is that the building that they were in would regularly have flames of fire coming out the top of the building. And that the fire department was called on multiple occasions to come to put out the fire on top of the building where the revival was occurring. I've had a conversation with the Lord. I said, Lord, uh, Skyland Church is the highest place in DeKalb County, Short Stone Mountain. What about when we have our service, if fire comes to the top of our building? That'll help people come and know what's going on inside here. But fire would appear on these things until eventually the fire department just came and said, no, that's the revival. We cannot put out spiritual fire. But they'd have all these people calling multiple times that they would go put out the fire. That is cool. That is just cool. God can do those things. There's another really good story in that revival where a guy received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he was in a meeting, and there were all these people gathered together, and he turned around in the meeting and just started speaking in Chinese to some 20 or 30 Chinese who were in the meeting that didn't speak English. But they had just come to the meeting. And he just turned around and started explaining the gospel and the glory of the Lord. Of course, he didn't know anything that he was saying because the Lord had just given him Chinese. And those people got down on their knees and gave their heart to Christ right in the middle of the meeting. But you see, God orchestrates things in a cool way. If you give him, your, if you give him his hand, he will do things. And the Holy Spirit is really key for transforming our hearts 
So we give everything about us to God. It is so important that we give everything about us to God. And the Holy Spirit urges us on and convicts us when we're not doing that. But the glory of the Holy Spirit is not like the glory of man. And when God moved in this way, he demarcated this is what he wanted to do. And in um, a couple of verses, like I mentioned before, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? In Ephesians 1, 13, it says, You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And in 2 Timothy 1, 14, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So God meant from the beginning that there be a special fellowship. And this is what's going to make heaven heaven. If I was to um, make Eleanor responsible for activities for the first 100,000 years of heaven, I'm sure Eleanor would do a great job for 1,000 years or so. But we go back and say, Eleanor, we don't want to have another pickleball tournament. We're, um, we're, we, we need something more than the Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday night dinners. It's been 100,000 years, Eleanor. We need to get some variety here. Do you see? Heaven's not like that. The Scripture says that what makes heaven heaven is that we know the Father and the Son. That's what Jesus said in John 17, 3, that to know the Father and the Son is eternal life. To know the Father and the Son is eternal life. Now, right now, we know the Father and Son in part. But the Scripture says that in heaven we will know even as we are known. And that's what makes heaven heaven. If you don't think of it that way, you're not going to like heaven. Uh, the first time I was thinking about heaven, I was going, when do you sleep? I don't like there's no sleeping. That scared me a little bit, to be frank with you. Um, I definitely need to recharge at my age. I, at one time in life, I think I could pull an all-nighter and still live. If I pulled an all-nighter now, I might be in the emergency room. I, I'm not going to do well. As a matter of fact, if you call me after 10.30 at night, I'm not responsible for what I tell you. That's my bedtime. Okay? There's no sleeping in heaven. There's no sun, S-U-N, in heaven. It says that the Father and the Son light up heaven. Well, how do they do that? I don't know. But they do. It isn't like the way we think. And Paul said that. He said, For the eye is not seen, and the ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the very thing God has prepared for them that love him. We haven't conceived it. We haven't thought of it. It's better than that. And when Jesus sent out the disciples... And the disciples came back excited that they had power over demons. Jesus said this to them, If you rejoice, rejoice in this, that your names are written in the book of life. He says, that is what you should rejoice over. Because he knows what the Father is in fullness, and he knows what heaven will be. You know, we think about why in the world would God let evil be, and why in the world would God let there be a Satan he only allows it for a time. Now to us, who are going to be here 85, 90, maybe 100 years, that seems like a long time. But to those of you that are a little bit older, it's really not that much time. 
And when I was 15, life was eternal. Do you know that feeling? It's all out there. But now I'm just about 71, and life feels like that. It feels like it all just went by, lickety-split. It feels like that. Now, we're only going to know evil and Satan and temptation and pain and suffering for 80, 90 years. And then, eternally, we're going to live where there is no evil. There is no suffering. There is no Satan. There is no pain. Eternally. That's a long, everlasting time. This is a short time. But to us, we kind of think of this as a long time, but it's not a long time. But God knew he needed to give every chance to redeem as he, much as he could. And it says that he delays his judgment so more have an opportunity to believe. It says in Peter that Jesus even went back and preached to the spirits that were imprisoned in Noah's day. God does everything he can to redeem, but there will be a final end to this creation. And then this creation will be gone, and there'll just be a new creation. Well, that's something to get excited about. I mean, that's something to get... I don't know how we're going to go down the road, but I do know where we're going. I know where we're going to end up, and we're going to end up with the Father and the Son. So he's trying to let us know what is the nature of God, but he's doing it in the constraints that we're human. But we have a spirit made in his image, and that spirit can commune with him in ways we don't understand. And the Holy Spirit makes yearnings for us in prayer, in things that we don't even know how to pray, and helps us in prayer, and brings us close to the Father. So when God looked from the beginning, he knew the Holy Spirit was the key. He knew that Jesus redeemed to open the gateway so the Holy Spirit can come in. And this is what happened on the cross. Big things happened when Jesus was crucified. We had an earthquake. We had darkness cover the earth for a long time in the noontime hour where it shouldn't be dark. And then we had the veil split in the temple. So the break between the Holy of Holies and the Holy was split apart completely. And in Hebrews, Paul says, therefore, since we have this new and living way, free access into the Holy of Holies, let us be sure that we avail ourselves of it. So that God made a way when Jesus left that now his very presence could commune with us, not separated by anything. And that's the Holy Spirit living within us. So it's a wonderful thing that the Lord has done, but it's a crucial thing for us to make sure we give the Holy Spirit access. We turn over our lives to him and give him free reign in our lives so that we'll know the Father. So I think one of the greatest things that I would have to say is, I don't think God could emphasize it any more than he emphasized it. If you read it in Scripture, it's an incredible thing that happened on Pentecost, and it was the empowerment of the church but not only the empowerment of the church to go and perform the mission of the church, but it was the empowerment of the church to commune with the living God, to commune with the living God so that we would be one, even as the Father and the Son are one. And in John 14 through John 18, Jesus took the last section of his life before he went to the cross 
to give a long teaching to the disciples. John 14, chapter 14, through John chapter 18. And in that, he said really, really important things. But he emphasized over and over at the end of his three and a half years of ministry that if you will keep my commandments, I will live in you and you will live in me. And the Father and I will make our abode in you. And how important that was. It's repeated over and over and over in that section of verses. So the scripture, so disciples would definitely know it. And that's the call that he puts out to us. You make room for me in your house and abide in me. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you that you have made way that you can come and dwell within us and make a new creature. Make us into something that we were not. Make us holy because you are holy. We thank you that you redeemed us and took the power of sin away. So, Lord, that there would be an opening that the Holy Spirit can come in and dwell and we would know you. Now I ask, Father, for each of our hearts, make sure we have our doors open wide, saying, Lord, come, that we welcome the Holy Spirit, that we welcome the Spirit of Jesus in our lives, and we don't hold things back. Now, Lord, I think you've ushered a call to many of us many times. In certain areas of our life, we've held back. We ask that you give us strength not to hold on to those things, but the wisdom to see it's so important that we release everything to you, Lou, and welcome the Holy Spirit in every area of our life. You, O oh Lord, deserve the honor. You deserve the praise. You deserve the glory. And we give you honor and praise and glory for what you have done. In Jesus' almighty name we pray. Amen. We've got prayer, the 